0: Thank you, Mike. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So began A.W. Tozer in his best-selling book, The Knowledge of the Holy. A little bit further down in the opening chapter, he writes this. For this reason, the gravest question before the church, is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what in he, he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Uh, let me ask you a question this morning, brother, sister, friend. What comes into your mind when you think about God? In your deepest heart, not necessarily what you feel like you're supposed to say in a conversation with other Christians, but all alone, just you and God. In your deepest heart, what do you conceive God to be like? There are some that may imagine God as like a cosmic grandpa, He's up there in the sky, and he's just ready to dole out gifts to his doting grandchildren. And he doesn't have the best memory anymore, and so if you mess up, it's it's okay. Others might view God as like a divine butler who exists to meet the needs of, of those that he serves. I would imagine in this room, most people don't have that vision of God. It tends to be the case in in Bible-believing churches. We understand that God is a God of holiness. We understand He is a God that, yes, has wrath. We understand that that He is a God that, that has standards laid out for us in His Word. And so most of us, I would imagine, most of us in this room may not be tempted to think about God like that. In this room especially if you're faithfully with us at Picosum Baptist Church, you are probably more likely to imagine God to be stern, harsh, to judge with a cold, easily offended, brittle heart. If you're honest with yourself, you often may feel that God is out to get you. One Evidence of that is, is that we sometimes attempt to bargain with God. I shared about my own experience with that years ago. When pain comes, we, we, we tend to think that if I can just give God what He wants, then He will give me what I want. Otherwise, He's out to get me. Or when our first response to suffering is, what did I do to deserve this? As if God is out to get us with a lightning bolt every time we mess things up. Is that the way that you think about God? Or perhaps when you fall into some sin, you might be tempted to think that you can't approach God in confession and ask for forgiveness until you give Him some time to cool off first. Because in your deepest heart, you may sometimes think that God is out to get you. The message of Jonah this morning teaches us that God is not out to get his children. He is determined, listen to this, he is determined to show his mercy to them and through them. The message of Jonah is that God is determined to show his mercy to his children and through his children. So if you're not already there, turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. It's around 760 B.C., about 170 years earlier in the the timeline of God's people, that the kingdom of Israel was split into two kingdoms. After Solomon died, the kingdom split into the north and the south. And around 760 BC, Amos, you remember we studied Amos a few weeks ago, he's from the southern kingdom, he goes to the north, and he's preaching judgment on the northern kingdom. Around the same time that Amos is preaching to the north, Jonah is a northerner that is also preaching in the north. And the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Kings, or 2 Kings rather, chapter 14, that that Jonah prophesies that the the boundaries of the northern kingdom is going to expand. So Jonah prophesies the northern kingdom's going to get bigger. Meanwhile, Amos is over here prophesying judgment is coming. Which prophet do you think is more popular, Amos or Jonah? Amos, or Jonah rather, right? He's the one that's prophesying. Things are going to get better for God's people. That's the way that Jonah's story starts. But by the time this book of Jonah is over, things look incredibly different. Jonah is going to endure a storm, getting swallowed by a fish. He's going to endure scor- a scorching east wind and an annoying little worm. And untold humiliation. And perhaps at least once throughout this entire ordeal, Jonah is tempted to think that God is out to get him. In the story of Jonah, with God's help, I want to show you six moments of mercy throughout the book of Jonah. God is determined to show his mercy to Jonah and through Jonah. You see, number one, first moment of mercy in this book is that God calls the unlikely. God calls the unlikely. Go to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, just reading that, it might not seem quite as big of a deal as it really is. Nineveh was, we know, the the capital, or the most prominent city in the kingdom of Assyria. Assyria were Israel's neighbors to the northeast. And God tells Jonah, go to your enemy's most prominent city and preach to them. He's an unlikely prophet to an unlikely people. Now, you you need to understand how much the people of Israel hated the Assyrians. They hated the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a violent people. We we know this from the scriptures. uh, The prophet Nahum writes a lot about Nineveh and the Assyrians and their violence. We also know this from archaeology, from history, that the Assyrian people were a violent, bloodthirsty people. They were perennial enemies of the Jewish people. The Assyrians were often at war with the Israelites. And so there was this kind of national enmity between Assyria and Israel. And then probably most tellingly they were pagans. They they worshipped all sorts of false gods. So, So Jonah like any good northern kingdom Israelite boy would have hated the idea that God would send him as a prophet to preach there. Maybe it would help For our young people in the room, see a little bit of a a picture. There's this book. um, You can't buy it anymore. It's called Jonah. It's just the book of Jonah. And it's uh, with a foreword by Edith Schaefer. And in this book, you can see Jonah there as a mouse. And the Ninevites look like what? Cats. Okay? So just imagine this age-old conflict between the Israelite people And the Assyrians, they don't like each other. And Jonah doesn't like the Assyrian people. He doesn't like the Ninevites. Perhaps for you, it would help, the grown-ups in the room, if you were to think about a violent, bloodthirsty people. Imagine that God were to call you, without a doubt, without any question, you were a hundred percent confident that God was sending you to go and take the Gospel of Jesus Christ to Al-Qaeda, or Hamas, or the Taliban, or ISIS, Boko Haram. God sending you to go there. Would you perhaps wonder, God, why me? Is God out to get me? Why would he send me there? Would you not perhaps think that this is not mercy? But it would be mercy for them who heard the gospel, wouldn't it? And therein lies one of the reasons why we sometimes think that God's mercy is God out to get us. Because We're thinking too much of ourselves, aren't we? Could it be, dear brother or sister, that that the pain that you're enduring right now, that you so much want to get away from, escape from, God has sent to you so that He might use you in that pain to invite others to Himself. God is merciful in that He calls the unlikely. Perhaps your response is to say, well, what if I don't want to do what God wants me to do? Now, maybe God isn't sending anybody in this room to take the gospel to ISIS, but he sent you to take the gospel to your neighbor. He sent you to take the gospel to your family, your coworkers. What if you say, well, I don't want to do that? Well, you might be tempted to do what Jonah did. Go to, um, again, Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. In the words of of Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible, he ordered one ticket to not Nineveh. Anywhere but there. See it on a map if you will. And we've got a map here, and you can notice that to the northeast is the city of Nineveh. He goes thousands of miles in the wrong direction. His disobedience is a lot more work than obeying. But what is he doing? He's not just trying to flee the Ninevites. He's trying to flee what? The presence of the Lord. He's trying to run away from God. Here we see a second moment of mercy in the book of Jonah God pursues the unruly God pursues the unruly what is God going to do about a prophet who runs away look at Jonah chapter 1 verse 4 but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up Brother, sister, friend, this storm is no coincidence. God has sent the storm. God has sent the storm, and it is so fierce that the sailors are terrified they're going to die. And so the, the sailors start throwing things overboard. They start casting lots, trying to figure out, you know, we got to appease the gods. The gods must be angry with us. And they find out that this guy, Jonah, who bought a ticket, is sleeping in the hold of the ship. And so they go and they, they wake him up and they say, Jonah, don't you care that we're perishing? And they wake Jonah up. And Jonah tells them in verse 11, they, they say, what shall we do to you that the sea might quiet down for us? and he says in verse 12 pick me up and hurl me into the sea then the sea will quiet down for you for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you now Jonah if you look at that text it almost looks like he's being noble here he's saying throw me overboard I'll die so that you can live but Jonah knows what God wants him to do, doesn't he? Here's what Jonah's saying. Jonah is saying, I would rather die than obey God. He's not being noble. He's not being noble. He'd rather die. And so, again, perhaps if you or I were enduring what Jonah has endured up to this point, an unlikely calling and a storm, and ready to die in a fierce ocean, you might feel like God is out to get you. But I want to plead with you to understand this is mercy. This is mercy. God loves his people too much to let them run away without chasing them down. I heard uh, one popular TV preacher who said this. My friend... God is a gentleman, and He will never force you to move into a place you don't want to be. Since He cares for you so much, He desires that you walk in complete liberty, and He respects your boundaries, even if that means that you don't experience His best. I think the prophet Jonah would disagree with this TV preacher. Respecting my boundaries? What are you talking about? not forcing me to go where I don't want to go. I'm trying to run away from you, God. And you send a storm. Think about it like this. At the service, when the service is over, if you were in the parking lot, fellowshipping with some people, talking for a little bit, and you noticed a young two, three-year-old child running as fast as they could towards With Creek Road. And you looked in the corner of your eye and you saw a Mack truck barreling down with Creek Road. Would you be a gentleman or a lady in that moment? Please don't go to the road, young little one. Would you talk in hushed tones? Would you respect their right to privacy or to have their own way or to not be disrupted? Or would you chase them down? Let me ask you: Which is the more loving approach? If you want the God that is, if you want the God that truly exists, you must have the God that loves his children too much to let them barrel headfirst into sin without chasing them down. That's the God that is. That's the God of the book of Jonah. It's the God of the entire Bible. I would suggest to you one of the reasons why we sometimes feel like God is out to get us is because we're thinking too much about right now. When God chases us down, sometimes He tackles us to the ground. That hurts. It's painful. And we think about that pain in the moment, and it hurts, and we feel like, why, God, would you do this to me? But in in the words of C.S. Lewis, if you would have a God that would not chase you down, you are asking for less love, not more. God is a God that pursues the unruly. C.S. Lewis also says there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. If you want a God that leaves you alone, what you're asking for ultimately is hell. Maybe you are wondering, well, what am I supposed to do? If I find myself like Jonah, I've been running from God, what am I supposed to do? We see an answer in the third moment of mercy in the book of Jonah where God hears the undeserving. God hears the undeserving. So Jonah's thrown overboard into the boisterous ocean by the sailors and and the sea calms down. The sailors... Sacrifice and praise God. The first people in the book of Jonah to praise God is not Jonah, the Israelite, but a group of pagan Gentile sailors. What does that tell you about the heart of God? For the world. But what happened to Jonah? Look at Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I wonder if you were swallowed up by a great fish, if you would be tempted to think that God was out to get you. Just imagine what it might have felt like for Jonah. He can feel the soft, slimy innards of the fish's belly. Anyone want fish for lunch, by the way? <laughs> He can smell the putrefying scent of the fish's digestion. He can hear the the muffled echoes of his own voice. He can feel the hunger pains from his own stomach. But he can see nothing. This does not feel like mercy. But it is. It is. And Jonah realizes it's mercy and his prayer in chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out, out of the belly of Sheol, that's a word that means the grave. Out of the belly of the grave, I cried and you heard my voice. Now, he, he, here's the amazing thing, Christian." You're in this room. You're not a Christian. Listen listen to me. Your life might be a mess right now. Your life might be a shambles, and you might know that it's your fault. And you might think, I can't cry out to God for help when I'm the one that created this mess. What would Jonah say to you? Yes, you can. Isn't that mercy? It's Jonah's fault that he's in this mess. And yet he cries out to the Lord amidst the mess that he created. And God hears him. This is amazing. Dear brother, sister, friend. You don't need to wait until you've cleaned things up before you can cry out to the God that loves you. The God of mercy. It can be a mess of your own making. And you can cry out for deliverance from it. And God still Hears. I've never seen mercy like this, dear friend. Maybe you say, well, God isn't helping me. I- I've tried asking for help, and he's done nothing. Can I tell you, I-, I know what that feels like, but I would just plead with you, remember that you can't see the full picture. Anybody in this room think that when Jonah's drowning, that he prayed for a great fish to swallow him? I don't think that's what he prayed for. He prayed, God, help! Help me! thinking perhaps that maybe God would just transport him onto dry land or send over someone with a, you know, a nice cruise ship with some food to eat and and maybe a a nice bed to sleep in. Or, Or maybe the sailors would circle around and pull him back up. God help me! And God sends a fish to swallow him up. It doesn't feel like mercy. And so too, dear brother, sister, you might cry out to God for help and His rescue doesn't feel like rescue but you can't see the whole picture. You can't see the whole thing yet. He is infinitely wise. He's good, and he loves his people. God rescues us oftentimes in stages, doesn't he? Sometimes he doesn't deliver you immediately from everything you ask for deliverance from. And by the way, often he rescues in the nick of time too, doesn't he? He arrives, in the words of Gandalf, precisely when he means to. He doesn't show up early or late. So in Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, Jonah says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Jonah is dying. His life is fainting away. He's drowning. And then, in the nick of time, perhaps on his last breath, a fish swallows him up. Mercy. Mercy. God is a God who hears the undeserving. And I couldn't think about this story without thinking about my brother Mike Inslee. Um, Gloria had been praying for decades that God would save her husband. I remember visiting with Mike a few times and talking about the gospel with him. I still vividly remember Easter 2018. I think we actually met in here that day. And I remember, Mike, you came up to me after the service and you said, you almost got me today. And I was encouraged by that because things were starting to click and yet a little discouraging because it was almost. You almost got me, but not quite. I managed to escape one more time. But you can't outrun God. You can't outrun God. And in July, a few months later, Mike was on his boat with his family. When he dove in the water, hit the bottom, and fractured his spine in three places. It was a miracle that Mike's body survived that day. But God did way more than that. I remember walking into Riverside Pavilion to see you, brother. And the first thing that you said to me was that you needed to give your life to Jesus right then and right there. I didn't come in with an evangelistic plan ready, no no attempt to, to persuade you. I just looked at you and you said, I'm ready. And you grabbed my hand from that hospital bed and you prayed and turned from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, brother, sister, that is what God does. It it doesn't feel nice or pleasant or easy. Mike's laid up on a hospital bed, but God is saving him. Praise God. That's a merciful God. That's a glorious God. Maybe you're thinking, well, God can deliver me out of the mess that I'm in, but I can never be useful to him again. The fourth moment of mercy would provide an answer to that question. God restores the unworthy. God restores the unworthy. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, says, The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That's a beautiful image, isn't it? Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I want you to notice the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Is God a God of second chances? Yes. And third, and fourth, and fifth. It's the story of the Bible. Moses was once a murderer yet God used him to deliver his people. Rahab was once a prostitute yet God used her to protect his people. David was once an adulterer and a murderer yet God promised him a kingdom through Christ that would never pass away. Mary Magdalene once had seven demons and she was one of the first to see Jesus. Peter was once an overconfident disciple who denied three times that he even knew who Jesus was that God used his preaching to save thousands Paul was once a murderer who persecuted Christians and God used him to write most of the New Testament can I just tell you brother, sister, friend if you feel too far gone you're wrong you're wrong God specializes in the too far gone. I felt too far gone once too. At 12 years old, I, I first felt a calling to ministry. My pastor took me every single week, Wednesdays afterno- Wednesday afternoons, to preach in a nursing home at 12 years old give me some experience to preach God's word I I think he did it because he knew that the people in the nursing home wouldn't remember anything I said and it was relatively low risk of doing anything any major damage but he was patient with me he loved me he poured into me and finished um, high school and went to college went to a Christian college to study for the ministry but I wasn't living for the Lord I told you a few weeks ago about my brothers passing away that was my freshman year first semester of college I wasn't living for the Lord I had bargained with God told him I'll turn around I'll I'll live for you if you save my baby brother and and God said no watch my baby brother die just um, two years old and um, at that moment I said I'm done walking away I went back to Christian College and I changed my major And I changed my friends. I had a group of friends that I hung out with almost every single day. And and they were people that loved the Lord and loved the Bible and they poured into me and I poured into them. But at that point I was done. And so I completely turned my back on that entire group of people and found an entirely new group of people that would not make me feel guilty for running away from God. I dove headfirst into my sin. I dove headfirst into discouragement and depression and darkness. And I changed my major, like I said, eventually went into business. But God never stopped pursuing me. Never stopped pursuing me. And just like the story of Jonah, God didn't, he didn't rescue me all at once There was little stages, little steps along the way as he was slowly, surgically, lovingly removing the sin out of my heart and life that so dishonored him. But God never stopped chasing me. I want to tell you, dear brother, sister, if you belong to Christ, he will never let you go. He will never let you go. He will pursue you. You're not too far gone if you've wandered into sin, you can turn away and be restored today. Maybe you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus. Listen to me. God's arm is not too short that He can't reach you. He is a God that restores the undeserving. Number five. Some of you might be thinking, well, what about holiness? What about expectations? What about standards? What about living the Christian life? Yes, all that's true. Does God have expectations for us? Yes. And so we see in number five that God confronts the uncaring. See, most of the time the story of Jonah ends with him going to Nineveh, preaching, and Nineveh repenting, and it's a happy ending. But that's not really the way the story ends. One of my favorite movies is is the Dark Knight Batman movie directed by Christopher Nolan. And there's this line in that movie where Harvey Dent says, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Jonah lives long enough to become an even worse villain than he was when the story started. It gets worse for Jonah. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. After Jonah preaches... And he proclaims uh, God's word in Nineveh. Nineveh, the city, repents. And Jonah, rather than celebrating, yes, I'm a successful prophet. People got saved. Notice the emotion that Jonah experiences. Starting in verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But, chapter 4, verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Angry. Angry that God rescued the Ninevites. Look at verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste the fleet of Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. What's going on? Jonah would rather die than live in a world where Nineveh lives. Jonah wants mercy for him, but not mercy for them. Jonah is pleased with God showing mercy to him, but he doesn't want God to show mercy through him. I wonder, dear brother, sister, friend, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever wanted people to suffer because they've hurt you? If you have, you can relate with the prophet Jonah. God, again, loves Jonah too much to just let him mope and pout over the salvation of Nineveh. God pursues. By the way, just a side note, this is who we should be as the people of God. We should be a pursuing people. We should be people that chase after one another in love, in mercy, not to let each other wander headlong into a cliff, not to sit back and and not say anything when one of us is, is struggling. We ought to be pursuing people because that's what love does. Notice how God confronts Jonah in his sin. Chapter four, verse four. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer his question immediately. Verse 5 tells us that Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. Makes kind of a tent, right? He sits under the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So apparently, according to verse 5, Jonah's hoping that maybe Nineveh's going to mess up again and he can see the fireworks, right? He wants to see flaming tar from heaven come down on Nineveh like it did on Sodom and Gomorrah. He wants to see that. And so he sets up a tent, shady spot, where he can watch. Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now notice, verse 6, he's exceedingly, what? Glad? And what is he earlier when he finds out that that Nineveh is saved? In verse 1, exceedingly angry. He's exceedingly glad about shade and exceedingly angry about salvation. What disordered priorities? Does that ever happen in your heart, Christian? Disordered priorities? He was exceedingly glad about the plant. Verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Again, doesn't it feel like God's toying with Jonah? I'm going to give you a plant, and then I'm going to appoint a worm to chew up the plant that I just gave you. Is God out to get me? No. God is using weeds and worms to teach a rebellious, uncaring prophet a lesson. He's confronting him. Could it be, dear friend, when it feels like God is out to get you that that, He's doing the same thing in your life and in mine? Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And He asked that he might die. And He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, ask the same question again do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah has the audacity to say, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Now, it's easy for us to get on a high horse and look down on Jonah. Sometimes, God puts circumstances in his people's life to humble us and help us to see how much we are like this rebellious prophet I had such a circumstance a few days ago my loving wife had prepared a delicious dinner of meatballs we were gonna have meatball subs and she always likes to eat outside and so being a loving and appreciative husband I prepared a tray and began putting items on the tray to load up to take outside where we could enjoy our dinner together with all the gnats. You can tell that I'm not the one that likes to eat outside. That's okay. So I load up the tray with a big pot of meatballs, a plate filled with cheese and the the buns and... Napkins and forks and plates and everything else ready to go. And I pick up the tray by its handles. And that's all that I'm holding on to because the tray breaks and everything on the tray falls to the ground. There's meatballs all over our living room floor. And my daughter Zoe saw me and she must have seen the look on my face because her first words were, It's okay, Daddy. It's okay, Daddy. And I grabbed those handles and dropped them on the floor as I surveyed the meatball carnage on the floor in front of me. And she said, Daddy, God must be teaching you a lesson. (laughs) My initial response was, that was very nice of him, wasn't it? And as I'm picking up meatballs scattered across the floor after a particularly, for me, discouraging week, I could hear the words of the book of Jonah echoing in my ear. Do you do do well to be angry about the meatballs, Hobson? (laughs) And to be honest, the initial response that came to my mind was, yes, angry enough to die. God, God is so kind to you, Christian, so kind to me, He will not leave you in your anger. He won't. He will chase you down with waves and whales and worms and spilled meatballs. Because he loves you. He loves me. He confronts us even when we are uncaring. Maybe your, your instinct is to say, well, why is God so determined to do this? I'm comfortable with how I am. I don't want any of that. God is determined to show mercy to you and through you. Final moment of mercy in the book of Jonah is that God loves the unable. He loves the unable. You see, God is doing all of this in Jonah's life not to toy with him, but because God wants to use Jonah as an instrument of mercy to save Ninevites. That's incredible. For those of you that have been taught or thought that that. The Old Testament is all about God's dealing with the, the Israelite people, and then He expands to the Gentiles and the New. That's not entirely true. He's here in the book of Jonah saving a, a ship filled with pagan Gentile sailors and a city filled with Gentiles. He loves the unable. And, and notice God's response. God gets the last word, by the way, in the book of Jonah. And notice what He says in verse 10. The Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God says to Jonah, Jonah, you're upset about a plant. You did nothing to make that plant grow you're upset about that, shouldn't I too pity, have compassion, have mercy for a city filled with 120,000 people that don't know the left hand from their right? There's a lot of debate on what that means. Some say, well, that's just talking about the city. There's 120,000 people in the city and, and morally they don't know left from right, right from wrong or others have said well no it could be referring to to children or the mentally handicapped well we're not 100% sure but here either way it doesn't matter what god is saying is listen i am a god that delights in showing mercy the unable the broken the flawed the sinful the distant the angry god loves to show mercy to them he loves to show mercy it's not out to get you friend you're a follower of Jesus. He promises to work all things together for good if you love him and are called according to his purpose. If you're not a Christian this morning, I believe perhaps you're here today so that today God could draw you to himself and you could receive this love. Dane Ortland in his book Gentle and Lowly, says this. He does it so well. God is unswervingly just that's true if if you listen to anything in the prophets minor prophets we've studied so far you see the justice holiness wrath of God that is undebatable but what is his disposition Ortland asks what is he on the edge of his seat eager to do if you catch me off guard Dane says what will leap out of me before I have time to regain composure will likely be grouchiness I can relate with Dane by the way If you catch God off guard, he writes, what leaps out most freely is blessing, the impulse to do good, the desire to swallow us up in joy. That is God's heart for every one of his children. How can that be? How can God be that merciful? Is it because he's weak? The book of Jonah tells you that God is not weak. This is a God that is sovereign over storms, over dice, over fish, over plants, over winds, over worms, and over the hearts of a city filled with pagans. God is not weak. So how can he show mercy like this? I believe the answer is because almost 800 years after Jonah preached in Nineveh, The Bible tells us about another missionary. The one that the story of Jonah is ultimately pointing us to. Like Jonah, this missionary was sent to a wicked people. But unlike Jonah, this missionary obeyed willingly. Like Jonah, this missionary once fell asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm. Unlike Jonah, his sleep was not the sleep of disobedient indifference but the sleep of obedient exhaustion. Like Jonah, the sailors awoke this missionary, and they said, we're going to die. Don't you care? But unlike Jonah, that missionary was not a hypocrite. He did care for his people. Like Jonah, the sea was miraculously calmed. Jonah, of course, told the sailors, if I perish you will survive if if I die you will live throw me in and the storm will be calm but unlike Jonah this greater missionary Jesus Christ calmed the storm with his voice we all know that Jesus didn't calm the storm by getting thrown overboard or did he you see the bible tells us that there was another storm that would come in the life of Jesus a storm far greater than any storm on the Sea of Galilee. The storm of the wrath of an almighty God. And Jesus would say, not to a group of sailors, but to all of humanity, if, you, if I perish, you will live. If, if I die, you will survive. Throw me in and the storm will be calm. And Christ was crucified. He died so that we could live. That is why God can show mercy like this. Because Christ has absorbed all the wrath of God in our place. He has Himself calmed the storm. Do you know Him this morning? The Bible also tells us that just like Jonah spent three days in the belly of the fish, Jesus spent three days in the belly of the earth until the grave could hold Him no longer. That is how God can be merciful to us you're in this room and you're not a christian i'll plead with you this morning god is determined to show mercy to you if you will but repent and believe just if you will admit your sin that you too have disobeyed a holy god you deserve his wrath because of your disobedience if you ask him for forgiveness and confess your belief that Jesus Christ really lived a sinless life and really died a sinner's death and rose from the dead so that you could have life. If you're in this room or listening online and you've not done that, you can do that right where you're sitting. If you do that today, we would ask you to head to the white flag after the service and talk with us so we can tell you a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus. If you're a Christian in this room, God is not out to get you. He may discipline you, Christian. A lot of what is enduring in this book is discipline, isn't it? He may discipline you. He may send great fish and great storms and annoying little worms. He may allow the meatball pot to fall on the ground and spill all over the floor. But it is not out of malicious, out of some malicious attitude in his heart. It is his mercy. He desires to show his mercy to you and through you. So if you know him, if you've been loved like this, then love like this. Would you pray with me?